0: Hello, fellow time travelers, and welcome back to the Doctor Who Target Book Club, the podcast in which we undertake the formidable task of discussing in-story order all the Doctor Who novelizations. My name is Tony Witt, the Zarbi Supremo, if you will. And today we have an equally formidable three-person discussion panel, including our so-called expert who's been a Who fan since 1979. That would be me. There's also our intermediate level casual fan who's seen several episodes but has not previously read any of the books until these podcasts. And this time it is the king of the butterflies himself, <laughs> Dalton Hughes. Hello, Dalton.
1: I'm Dalton. Oh, hello. Hello.
2: hello.
0: Yes, with his wings spread. And finally, we have our novice fan one who has seen little to none of the original series and has not previously read any of the books, and this time around, it's the queen of the anthill herself, Alison Fitch-Saffrey. Hello, Allison.
3: Fear my pincers. It's good to see you all.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and mighty pincers they are, too. If you're wondering about all this kind of insect-related humor, it's because of this. This time we're going back to the 60s for the second of the three novels published in that decade to discuss Bill Strutton's novelization of his script for the 13th Doctor Who story, The Zarbi. Without further ado, here are some fast facts. Doctor Who and The Zarbi, adapted by Bill Strutton from a script that aired from 2-13-65 to 3-20-65, published by Frederick Miller Limited in 1965 and by Target Books in 1973. As of this recording in July of 2017, this title is currently in print in two facsimile editions and is available as an unabridged BBC audiobook, 174 pages. All right. I'm going to do the unusual thing and I'm going to read the blurb first. Um Dr. Who because that is his name in this book. Mm-hmm. Dr. Who lands his space-time machine TARDIS. Not the TARDIS, TARDIS, on the cold, craggy planet of Vortis. The doctor and his companions Ian and Vicky, but not Barbara for some reason, are soon captured by the Zarbi. It's all caps. (laughs) Huge, ant-like creatures with metallic bodies and pincer claws. Meanwhile, Barbara falls into the hands of the friendly Monoptera, who have come to rid Vortis of the malevolent power of the Zarbi. Yeah. A couple things to say about this book before we even get started discussing it. Uh, For one thing... For years, I don't know how, but I labored under the misapprehension that this book was the third book to be released in the 60s. It was actually the second, which makes sense because the Zarbi comes before the third story, which is the Crusade. It's just, I'm kind of used to the books being released out of order. Um, As I discovered doing research for this podcast, it was actually the second. And just like the Daleks one, it too went into a second edition. I used to have a copy of the second edition in hardcover, and it drowned in Katrina, so I no longer have it. Instead, I have just the Target version, but I also have this lovely Dutch version Ooh, yes. of the same book, which isn't all that impressive in because... Zarbies. Arby's. And these Arby's. Yeah. These Arby's. Eat fresh. These After Arby's.
3: the Doctor's mini chins on that last cover, this one is actually quite a pleasure. Isn't I not nice? I like the combination of, well, color illustration and then the black and white pencils. It's actually quite lovely. That
0: would be artist Chris Achilleus. Yeah. And that one, as Dalton is pointing out, has Tom Baker on the back.
1: Tom Baker
0: on the back. The uh, the Dutch uh, version. The uh, uh, park reason. ranger, it looks like. <laughs> oh, that's his <isn't laughs> drunken park but ranger. But he does look like a drunken park <laughs> ranger, which is kind of surprising. Um... Now, it says something about how seminal this book is considered, though, that that facsimile editions are now in print not only of the Target edition, but also of the hardcover from the 60s. In fact, they've done all three of the uh, 60s hardcovers. I just haven't had the pocket money to buy either one yet. My second misapprehension was that, given how it refers to the main character as Doctor Who and the ship as TARDIS, not THE TARDIS, just as the two Peter Cushing movies do... It must have been published to promote the second movie. Um, I was half right. It turns out that the first movie came out in June of 1965 in London and had a UK-wide release in August of that same year. This book came out in September of that year. Okay. So this is a tie-in for the second movie, if anything. And I have a feeling that the reason why they did that was because they didn't want to confuse moviegoers by releasing Dalek Invasion of Earth because it's not the first movie.
2: The
0: first yeah, movie is Daleks, and that would have already been in print. And I have a feeling that the reason why they chose this story was because the Zarbi were the most memorable creatures on TV at that point in recent memory. That might be why they asked Bill Strutton to write it. In fact, the BBC was looking for the next big thing after the Daleks. Because the problem was, Terry Nation owned the rights to the Daleks. He did not own the rights to the Zarbi because he didn't create the (laughs) Zarbi. However, this, um, uh, people listening at home, I have a copy, an actually very nice copy of the first Doctor Who annual, which was published in 1965. Ooh. Ooh. Yes, unfortunately the pages are falling Uh. out, so I'm having to be very delicate with it. But you'll notice on the cover that we have a Uh Zarbi. We have a Monoptera. There. We have a sensorite, yes. and we have one of the Vord from Keys of Marinus, which Terry Ooh. Nation did write, but I guess he gave fuck all about.
3: See, you just keep saying Terry Nation, since I don't know who that is. I envision Carrie Nation. He used to <laughs> smash up bars <laughs> with an axe, briefly. Not that one. <laughs> different one. one. She really had some interesting sidelines going she on. She did.
0: She created <laughs> the Daleks, apparently. Yes. Well, here's the thing. You can see from this... Um, this annual, which was released, I believe, in the summer of 1965, it's it's just crawling with Zarbi.
1: From Marco Polo.
0: Um, yeah, I think that's one of the production. I think that's one of the uh, production stills for Marco Polo. You can tell that they're using uh, photo references. Yeah. Let me pull this around a who's, little bit.
3: Who's the uh, illustrator?
0: I do not know. Really, and really I'm familiar. Sure I, and I can find out. I'm almost certain that it's the illustrator for this book, John Wood because the illustrations in this book look so much like the comic strips from the 60s. And I have a feeling that he may have been instrumental in it. I used to know this stuff off the top of my head, and unfortunately... You see, we do have the story later, the Zarbi Supremo. And we may indeed be reading this and discussing this for Halloween, since we need an episode at Halloween, and we can't do... um, It's a surprise. You'll see. (laughs) <laughs> but Lara the Zarbi Supremo has him going back to Vortis.
3: It's a lovely style. I like the coloring also. Yeah.
0: yeah, it really is. The story itself, as you'll see when we read it, is kind of bleh. But yeah, it's, it's quite pretty. Let's see. He is referred to as Doctor Who in the annual. In fact, he's referred to as what I like to say, DR Who. Because there's no period. It's not doctor abbreviation. It's DR Who.
3: D.R. Who. Or David Richard Who.
0: Or Drew, even. But there's a Monoptera. There you go. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That's the Zarbi Supremo story. Who is Doctor Who? Who cares? Let's go on to the next one. Sons of the Crab. And someone actually... No, no, no. That's the actual art style. Mm. I thought somebody had colored in it, but no, they didn't. Um, But what I'm trying to get to is that there's another Zarbi story in this same annual. Oh, there they are. The, the lost, lost ones, yes, <laughs> and it's the monoptr again. It's
3: sort of a Juggalo aesthetic in the that,
0: <laughs> in that set of illustrations. <laughs> I guess they do look look a little like Juggalos, don't they? It's a little frightening, mm-hmm. but yeah. And there's uh, David Bowie himself. Okay. <laughs> and another David Bowie, and another... I think that's a different story You entirely. can't have too many. Now, here, and this is where, of course, the pages are going, you see that we have a little board game called Journey Back to Earth, and it's Zarbi all over the place. Yes. And it's Vortis, and it's fall- Land on Web Planet, Miss A Turn, rescued mm-hmm. by Monoptera, move up seven places, chased by Zarbi, return to number 21. The reason why I bring all this up is because they were trying to sell the Zarbi, and the Monoptera to be the next big thing,
3: and how, apparently. And did they succeed on any level?
0: No, mm-hmm. they did not. Mm-hmm. They did not, apparently.
3: If people like plungers more than they like bugs.
0: They really do. And none of this, but none of this accounts for why the Crusaders was the third book released in the 60s, because publisher Frederick Mueller Limited did Doctor Who and an Exciting Adventure with the Daleks, which is its full name, as Danny knows, because... Oh, by the way, everybody, Danny is here. We're recording in his bedroom, and if you hear random laughs or burps or farts or whatever, that's because he's over there on the bed. So, hello, Danny. Hi. Okay. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) Danny read that book with us, uh, with uh, Sheena, uh, Doctor Who and an Amazing Adventure with the Daleks.
3: He's really quite genteel.
0: Yes, exactly. And so is the Doctor. Um... The Zarbi is the second, Crusaders is the third. That may explain why it was the last book done in the 60s, too, as we'll find out later, because that's uh, historical. Ah, had to kill the golden goose, didn't they? (laughs) It's also amazing that we don't hear, or we didn't get more from Bill Strutton, who was a very prolific TV writer in England. Born in 1918 in Australia, he joined the Australian Army to serve in World War II. He was captured by the Germans and put in a Stalag, uh, Stalag, Stalag uh, where he took up an interest in writing because what else do you have to do if you're in a Nazi Stalag. He later served as a journalist and writer of military books and wrote for something like 15 different series in the course of his career died on 23 November 2003, which was the day of Doctor Who's 40th anniversary at the age of 85. As for the Zarbi, he said he came up with the idea from a memory he had a, as a boy watching two ants fighting each other and how he got painfully bitten by one when he tried to separate them. And he was watching his young sons doing the same thing and he, obviously that led to a story. And so he got giant hmm. ants and giant butterflies and whatever the Fuck those things underneath the surface are—they're <clears throat> called on-screen optera, right. whatever they are. Needless to say, there are many changes. Most of them for the better, some for the worse. One of those that I'm gonna mit- that we're gonna miss is uh, the production mistakes. I had a long talk on Facebook with one of our fans. We have fans now.
3: Yay! Yeah,
0: we have people that respond. We feel love. Yes, Hooray. we feel love.
3: Fans In but fact, do we have a stalker or a troll though?
0: I, I, I doubt he's either. His name is Bart... His name is Bart Lammy. <laughs> like Hello. other
3: people, not, his him, not
0: Bart. His name is Bart Lammy. Hello, Bart. I was trying to greet Bart a couple times, but... That's yeah, all right. You'll forgive her. Um, and... <laughs> it, for those who couldn't see it, she flipped me off. Um, Bart Lammy says that he thinks his love of Tim and Eric mm-hmm. came from the time that he saw the Zarby and the BBC camera really loving each other and coming together in one terrific bang because one of the Zarbi just comes Smack, straight forward, smacks no, into a no. BBC oh, oh, camera, oh, 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 oh. and they leave it in.
3: Nice! Yes,
0: it is just a brilliant <laughs> moment. Sense of immediacy. Yeah, oh, that's for damn true. Shall we talk about the fact that this book is written about a character named Doctor Who? Do you want to hear some stuff about that? <laughs> I mean, well, first, let me get to what you were saying before we started recording, Dalton. What did you say you had to do when you were reading this? So
1: pretty much any um, any instance where he's referred to as Doctor Who, I would just try to change it in my brain to the Doctor or Doctor, simply depending upon Ooh. how I needed to conjugate it.
0: Because we conjugate it. it.
1: It was just it threw me off. It threw me off. Having yeah. seen all of the new series where he's just referred to as the Doctor, having read. Eight or nine books now where he's just referred to as Doctor or the Doctor. Hmm. It was really confusing and it was really off putting. So it's just like, just you nope, know, sorry, sorry, author. Like, I'm going to make my own
0: edits there. Okay. Um, that makes had,
3: sense. Had you yeah. taken a shot every time you read the phrase Doctor Who, you would have not survived past like the third chapter <laughs> or no, so. <laughs> no, I wouldn't have made it long.
0: Every time. Every time.
3: You know, I'm the amateur here, and even I know this is blasphemous. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't take much knowledge at all to know that that's that that's problematic, shall we say.
0: Yeah. So problematic, in fact, that the new series has just made fun of it. Let me talk about that for a second. Um...
3: I'll ask this question. Do you think it's the author's choice or the editor's choice?
0: I can't really tell. Um, in fact, you because think why be do they to... even
3: have editors if they're going to leave stuff like that? In? Well, that's a weird thing
0: because, as far as I know, the first book, the Dalek book, didn't do it. Um, this one does. I am in the course of reading Crusaders uh, right now because I have Sheena's same aversion to historicals, so I needed to get started early. <laughs> and it happens once but not in the same context as this. It's more the writer saying, but you know if you've ever read The Adventures of Doctor Who, that if he wanted to stay out of trouble, we would never have any Adventures of Doctor Who to read. And it's like, that's cute. I can allow that. Yes. But here's the thing. It has happened twice on screen, three times technically. There is a Hartnell story coming up, I won't tell you which one, in which a character refers to him as Doctor Who on screen. It's a non-human character though and it can be argued to make sense in context. It does not happen at all in the novelization of that story. Period.
2: Well,
1: because they've done weird things with like, you know, nudge-judge wink-wink at the viewer yeah. by like calling him Dr. What, Doctor Who. What doctor? Doctor Who now? Doctor Who? who? Yeah. Yeah, but that, that kind of stuff. stuff, but that but This is part of the plot. Yeah, it's it's more just
0: like It's a big part of the plot. And what is interesting about that one is that the novelizer fixes his own mistake because it's his own script that he's novelizing. Uh-huh. So it's like, okay, the editor probably got to him and said, take that shit out now. Yeah. Um, it happened on screen in the titles for the longest time, in the end titles, but it also happened in the story uh, Doctor Who and the Silurians. That's the name of the story. Doctor Who and the Silurians. But it's not called Doctor Who on screen. Missy, in the new series who is the female version of the master spoiler alert mm. the master's female now I've seen pictures okay good
3: yeah and
0: they're lovely aren't they indeed mm-hmm. michelle gomez is just darling um in the episode world enough in time when she is posing as the doctor and she comes out of the tARDIS she says i am doctor who and she <laughs> actually goes into the spiel about why his name truly is doctor who to the point that bill his companion has to say Doctor, that's not really your name, is it? And he says, of course not, shut up. But, yeah, so that's the three times that it happens. That's the
3: appropriate context, a villain making fun of him. But yeah, right. it is,
0: but it's weird that yeah. it happens, because it, she says it with such authority, you're like, if this came from any other character but Missy, yeah. Anyway, long story short, drink of water. There's no apparent reason why he should be called Doctor Who nor be in something called TARDIS, except that that's how he's referred to in both of the pushing films, the second one you saw.
3: So you think it's all about the Bible for the tie-in, then? Yeah. Mm, I think sense. it must be.
0: I think it must be.
3: It makes more sense than just one writer kind of running amok.
0: hmm Except it is one writer running amok, because the <laughs> other two books from the 60s are written by David Whitaker, and he doesn't do it except for that one mention that mm. I mentioned. And that's it. It's the weirdest thing. hmm Okay, so we've gotten past that. Um, so let's talk about this first impression.
1: I like that it got back to the like sci-fi feel of mm-hmm. Doctor Who. It's kind of like my, my wheelhouse, I guess. Um, kind of the action-adventure sci-fi stories. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also cool that it happened to be about insects. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. I like that. Um yeah. And it, it, it felt very much like a lot of the other stories, where we got separated, now we have to get back
0: together. Yeah. So, um... Like every other Arnold story. much.
1: <laughs> but it was enjoyable. It was
0: a, it was a fun read. So. Yeah. Okay. That works.
3: Meh. This guy. <laughs> 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 so, I think this is the fifth I've read. This was my least favorite. And it was really? not terrible. Even over Planet of the Giant Dicks. Well, I think that if I had read that one fifth, I might have reversed my opinion. But yes, similar oh. level, because I expected that to be terrible, and it was very it was a nice, pleasant summer read. Right. This was not terrible, but I enjoyed the last two so much that mm-hmm. um, I guess I had my expectations over-inflated, and I hadn't read any by this writer before. I was not so much offended by the use of Doctor Who so much as the fact that it seemed to be five times a page. It was like yeah. I was constantly being kicked out of the story. That's Just an example of the minor annoyances that proliferate. Um, <laughs> it's not terrible, but it's uh, the interview scene in History Boys where the teachers are helping the kids prep yes. for their interviews and well. one, of the, one of the instructors asks, what is history? Says, and one of the kids says, it's just one fucking thing after another. <laughs> Which is kind of what the plot felt like here, just link sausage. So I will say the mm-hmm. positive thing, I really liked the atmospherics. I oh, thought yeah. he built a really nice atmosphere with yeah. the silica rock and the electrified webs mm-hmm. and the acid pools. Oh, yeah. And I really liked the world that he built. But then people just walked around and kicked at things and did things. And, oh, here come the more bugs again. And yeah. I guess in terms of the overarching structure of the story, it felt much more like it said like link sausage than than a more structured arc.
0: I could see that. Yeah. And the televised version comes off that way too. In fact, that's I think I've said this before. This is the story that if I'm wanting a Hartnell story to listen to and I want Doctor Who in the background but I don't want to pay attention to it, this is the one I put on. Yeah, I never actually watch it.
3: The last book the writer was Enamored of his own wittiness, but in a way that I found very entertaining. But he yeah. struggled to have distinct voices for the different characters and made the same kinds of jokes and puns and alliterations over and right. over. This one also has some clever lines, but has a similar yeah. issue where there isn't a very distinct sense of character. Other, There's a doctor, and then there are others. Um, But it was just not as cleverly entertaining. There are a few good lines Mm -hmm. um, in there, but um, shall we talk about the casual sexism?
0: Yeah. (laughs) I was hoping you'd bring that up. In fact, I knew you would bring that up because it's in my notes, too. Indeed. It's just like, oh, holy shit. I
3: will say, it could be so much worse, but... (laughs) <laughs> it just doesn't add anything. It's just lazy, oh. it's not entertaining, it's not done in a funny way where she's indignant or something like that. It's yeah. not a laugh at anyone else's expense. So there is a whole theory about Jet Kirby and Stan Lee that they are sort of at war behind the scenes and how the, some, some of the superheroines were portray, portrayed in the 60s. Okay, And I cannot for the life of me remember the name of this blogger now. i will see if I can find it for the notes later. There is a blogger who did um, a wordless version of two or three stories that are written by Lee and illustrated by Kirby. You know, the Marvel style where they're going back and forth and shows that the Kirby version has Sue Storm and Jean Grey, respectively, doing things. They're part of the superhero teams. And so one of them is uh, the X-Men have been captured by an evil circus and... uh, Uh, Jean Grey uses her telekinetic powers to remove her own blindfold, uh, use a a knife from the knife-throwers board to to Mm. free some people, etc. And it's just, you know, the telekinetic is using telekinesis to free people. Well, in the Lee dialogue she explains that the professor put all of these thoughts and ideas into her mind. Aww. And so when, I think, Scott is thanking her for freeing them all, she says, oh, thank the professor. It was all of his doing. Oh, my God. <laughs> and similarly, there's one uh, where Sue Storm is in a judo fight with Dr. Doom, and she's mm-hmm. handing him his ass, which is a perfectly reasonable thing yes. for a member of the Fantastic Four to, to be doing. And the, uh, the Stanley dialogue... Mm-hmm. Um, has Dr. Doom saying something like, wow, I didn't realize you could do this at all. She says, oh, well, you should know that I was trained by Mr. Fantastic, who's the world's foremost judo expert. The fuck? That's never mentioned before (laughs) or after. Oh, my God. (laughs) So it's like Stanley can't stand for one of the superheroines to do heroic things like the rest of the team. But the interesting thing is when you look at it without the words, Mm -hmm. it does not have that overlay at all. Right. So this gets to one of the early X-Men books. Uh, the housekeeper is out, and the first scene is <laughs> the professor says, "Thank you, Jean, for making this big breakfast for all of yes. us." Yes, <laughs> with no indication before or after that she can cook or oh anything like God. that.
0: Oh my God! Or the scene where he um, is thinking about how much he can't profess his love for her, and it's like this comes out of nowhere. Yes, it's and just really Professor ex- yes. sitting there looking like he's constipated yeah. and saying, "Oh, if only I could tell her that I loved her," <laughs> and it's like, and that never comes up again. It makes sense because Stanley would have written those words.
3: So once again, I've seen one episode now, I saw the adaptation, I mean, sorry, the the episode that uh, the last book we read was an adaptation of the Romans. Mm -hmm. So my impression so far is that Barbara doesn't go around fussing about cooking and cleaning and, and tending the sick unless they really are in need of it. And this seemed to come completely out of left field for me in terms Mm -hmm. of how the character is written. And if he had done it in kind of a funny way, Mm -hmm. or a clever way, Mm -hmm. I mean, I'd have liked it, but I thought, oh, there's some entertainment value. But it was just boring. Yeah.
0: The spring cleaning line is in the televised version. However, in context... Which was the
3: closest to being funny because the Doctor has a lot of junk sitting around. In,
0: In context, it makes sense, and Barbara seems... Like, it's the sort of thing she would do.
3: But, like, the doctor asked her to bring coffee, and then a few minutes later... You can he her for like, breakfast. Yes! Oh, you're up and around! It's great to see you up and around! Because I'm secretly in love with you. No! Because I want bacon and eggs! I'm like... <laughs> Alright, so, is it supposed to be a jerk line on his part? Or are we supposed to think that's the most natural thing in the world, is my question.
0: It, <laughs> in context, I would say that Stratton thinks that's the most natural thing. Yeah. That there is an adult woman in the TARDIS. Yeah. She is the cook.
3: I yeah. think you could have played it for a laugh, though, if she had given him quite a look like, what the oh, yeah. world, or right. something there, like that. There could have been a back and forth. There could have been some humor down. in there, in their yes. clash of expectations. And that, had Good. Ian
0: Martyr novelized this, right. he probably would never have included that, but if he had, it would have been something like that. She would have kicked him in the balls or right. something. Right, there, there would have
3: been a back
1: and forth. There would have been a rebuttal of, oh, yeah. you can get your own damn coffee, exactly. or something.
3: You and know, it Babs just,
1: being Babs. yeah. But this is very much like...
3: And later, is it Crosstar? Yeah. Um Hrosstar. Says something like, uh, two women, an old man, and an unbeliever. <laughs> yes. I am the natural choice. <laughs> yes. And I'm like, oh, well, they're going to give him the business, right? Barbara looked at him and smiled I'm like, Okay, I don't think she behaves that way, does she? (laughs) No, she does not. (laughs) After that litany of insults individualized for each of them. (laughs) If it were a smile, it would be sort of like, uh uh-huh, yeah.
0: (laughs) You just better watch your wings, boy, or I'm going to clip them for you. Yeah.
3: The the culmination of my rant is that (laughs) non-sexism is really boring. Mm -hmm. It's not funny, it's not entertaining, it's not character development, it's just he's being paid by the word.
0: And it's very much 60s Doctor Who so it's kind of surprising it doesn't come up on screen more often. And it's not coming up in the books that we've read, mainly because this is only one of three that were actually written in the 60s. So I have a feeling that by the time we get to Dix and Dalek Mm -hmm. Invasion of Earth, he's not going to be sexist in that way. He just doesn't like Barbara, and he's going to show it later. And someone like Ian Martyr, uh-uh. He respects the hell out of Barbara. Mm -hmm. Um... Cotton, well, Cotton's doing what he what was done to her in the original story, which is making her the you know almost rape victim of Nero, and she still gets out of it, and she still manages to be badass for a little while. Yeah, a little is, but it's just that she's in there. Yes, <laughs> exactly. I
3: did the way that they presented the metallic mind control through gold, I thought that was interesting. Yeah. The way it was first described with mm-hmm. the bracelet, you don't know what it is about that item that's allowed her to be brainwashed. That was a nice, eerie, spooky image of being sort of led along by her own wrist and sort of wandering after it, and then the shape of the necklaces they described all has nice atmosphere. Oh, it's a
0: horrible Twilight Zone type cliffhanger when you see it on screen, because she's being pulled by it, and you can hear the Zarbi chirping in the background louder and louder, and it's just altogether creepy.
3: And his description of the different noises I thought were mm-hmm. very good. The insect noises and sort of humming electronic noises yes. as well. So and,
0: yeah. and you don't hear that differentiation right. on screen because it's all Zarby chirping. In fact I think that's probably why I put it on in the background because that's a very it's a very annoying sound when you're trying to watch the episode. As a background noise it's kind of soothing. Mm. It's the weirdest thing. Um,
3: I just saw it overall. It was about 70% longer than the others and about 70% longer than needed if you were being paid <laughs> by the foot. Yeah, so. possibly. It
0: could
1: have been a lot shorter.
0: Yeah. I don't think they had the page count limits that were later imposed upon them by Target because those page count limits come in, into effect in the early 70s when they start publication. And occasionally we will get an early 70s novelization that will make reference to Doctor Who once on page and that's it. Never in dialogue, which is nice. But, where was I going with that? Oh, the fact that this is so long. It's a six-parter. That's part of it. Okay. All six parts are on page. Wow. Yeah. he's He cleaves very closely to the script, okay. and what gets me about this is his deviations from the script, except in two instances, add nothing, but nothing, to the story. The sexism? No, it's not on the screen. Hmm not there. The other deviation, and this uh, I think is part and parcel of the uh, sexism, two of the characters have been transgendered. Vreston is female in the Talvis story. Hmm. Huh. The one that uh, ends up with uh, Ian is talking with him and ends up in the underground with the Optera, yeah, who aren't named, obviously, in the book. And Mnemony the Optera that sacrifices his life when they're trying to dig their way through is also female Mm -hmm. which means that he has shifted this story from having three no four if we count Vicky no three strong female characters I was right the first time to having one strong female character and one not so strong female character and two characters that you would never know were female in the original because everyone else is male there's not, it's a sausage party, which hmm. is probably why you're thinking sausage so, links.
3: Too many dicks on the dance floor. Exactly, it, right? <laughs> and
0: they're all butterfly dicks.
3: <laughs> I do take back my criticism, though, it's just one thing after another. If I didn't realize there were six episodes being crammed into this, so yes. I guess that he had events to put in that he was obligated to put in.
0: And that's the interesting thing about this, too, the structure of it. Uh, each chapter, you probably know the chapters are really long. Yeah. Each chapter corresponds to an episode.
1: Yeah, each other book is usually, like, 12 to 15
2: chapters.
1: Yeah. Kind of episodes I did not
2: catch
0: that. Planet of the Giant Dicks has something like 36 chapters, and it's a three-parter. <laughs> so, yeah. Usually it's up to the discretion of the writer, but in this case, yeah, it was basically one... And, in fact, Crusaders is the same way. One episode, one chapter.
1: Well, I've noticed a lot of times, whenever they do break the chapters, a lot of... Um, in the past books, it's been for... Following different character arcs and different different yeah. parts of the specific story, yeah. so there's less confusion. But this this one didn't really bother me having it all kind of lumped together. Yeah, um, that's just kind of part of reading them is the fact that you're going to have six or seven different things going on that you have to keep track of, and yeah. eventually they weave together and they form a total
0: story. But, yeah, um, yeah. And there are a couple of really nice changes. Except, uh, here's the thing. You'll hear at some point when we get to the Zarbi Supremo story in October about atmospheric atmospheric density jackets, or ADJs. These are a big plot point on screen. The Doctor and Ian are wearing them for two episodes. Then they decide to get rid of the damn things, and it doesn't do a damn bit of difference. Hmm. They're not in the book.
3: I thought it was actually a nice bit of additional menace where they talk about how different uh, densities will cause underground collapses. Mm-hmm. Once again, I thought it created a nice atmosphere, a very dangerous world. Oh, yeah. that has sort of a constant benign menace.
0: Yeah, but the original menace is that they wouldn't have been able to breathe the atmosphere and protect it, except mm. that Barbara and Vicki all both end up on the planet's surface without one. So I think they probably realized, oops, yeah. let's just get rid of those. The cliffhanger to episode 5 is quite different in that the Doctor and Vicky are sprayed by the stinging web in a really terrifying manner before he gets uh, his last um, conversation with a hairdryer.
2: I love that.
0: That's Hartnell. That's not Strutton. That's Hartnell. Hartnell ad-libbed that on set. And they kept it because it does look like a hairdryer (laughs) coming down (laughs) over his head.
1: I really like the illustration of the book. Oh, that's funny. That's exactly what it
0: looks like. Is the funniest thing, and Hartnell, yeah, just plays that. For it
1: also reminded me of uh, Augustus Gloop and the Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory being sucked
3: up.
0: Yes, yes,
3: oh, that yeah. illustration did make me
1: think oh, of that. I hadn't yeah, thought
0: about that. I think it would have been much more entertaining. <laughs> Permanently afraid
1: it. of Damn, tubes. Right. <laughs> Pull the doctor up, it's sucking blood.
0: Yeah, it's yeah. There's so much about this book that I want to like, and so much I don't. <laughs> it's just the strangest thing. Um, let me ask you if there are characters that you liked in particular, scenes you liked in particular, what did you like about the book, apart from building, which I agree is pretty decent for this.
1: Oh, yeah. You definitely got a feel of of this place, for sure. Yeah. Um, I liked them finding, what, what are they called, the Optera? Uh-huh. I guess the ancestors, or the uh,
0: future... The pygmies.
1: The pygmy versions <laughs> of the monoptera. Um, I like them finding them and bringing that into the story and um, kind of like the history of the planet in a way, being like, mm-hmm. basically you guys disappeared, but we've been here this whole time, underground, evolving and figuring things out and making it work Right. Um, through this all, mm-hmm. you know, but they're, they are um, related. Mm-hmm. Um you mentioned this the scene with, uh, with the character that was female in the show and is now male in the book of uh, blocking the acid from coming through yeah, anemone um, I really liked that scene, it was kind of
0: sad which is a very sad scene on screen because she's crying out in pain as this happens it's like, oh you poor little thing yeah, it kind yeah. of
1: reminded me of um, I don't remember which uh, disaster volcano movie it is, but there's there's a scene where they go out into a lake and it's it's Dante's Peak. Yeah, I think, think. Yeah, Dante's yeah. Peak, where it's uh, it's become acidified and the, um, uh, the grandma gets out to push oh. the their boat to shore because she oh. they're like halfway across and they're not gonna make it and she's like I'm gonna die anyway. Oh. I'm 80 years old. Oh. I'll help you guys get across. Oh. And, Damn. Kind of a similar yeah. thing where it's like this this person that's like I've lived a long life, I've done what I need to do like whatever okay. and you know making a sacrifice just for the better of everyone else so, okay um, yeah that kind of stood out to me all
3: um, right what about you some nice amusing dialogue moments where doctor says you know what do you think I am sweet 16 <laughs> 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 What everyone down here you mean they disembowel them no puncture them. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yes, the, the, Strutton does give him some wonderful lines, and I'm trying to remember, there was one that I thought was just...
3: I felt like only precious. the doctor had a, a sense of personality.
0: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, not so much of an asshole. Um, I noticed that his interactions with the Ian were much more warm than normal. Mm-hmm. Except, of course, lines like on page 57 where he says, The brain you were given, Chesterton, such as it is, use it! Use it. Yeah, but and yet... Ian comes off as the co-pilot of the TARDIS. Or TARDIS. He's Doctor Who's co-pilot <laughs> yeah. in, on TARDIS. <laughs> and, and he's not piloting all around the central control console. It is the... Uh, what's it called? The... Com- the Control table, yeah, which he's seated at in the very first illustration. That's like
1: movable too.
0: Which is movable, <laughs> yeah. It's like the the hell, what's going on mm-hmm. there? Honestly, it just amazes me that even the Monopter are sexist. A girl alone, indeed. That's ridiculous.
3: So I thought it was both an offense against show don't tell and kind of the spirit of Doctor Who that. Three different times he refers to the Zerbi looking evil, like having an evil shape, making an evil sound, having an evil form. But he's not talking about actions, he's just talking about like something about their physique or biology. And that seemed, A, not very descriptive, and B, well, like I said, I haven't seen the 60s episode, but yeah. a little on the nose, if that makes sense. Yeah,
0: it does. So they're basically just giant ants. Um, in fact, the only innovation that seems to happen at all is that the um, Zarbi, for some reason, have glowing eyes in the book. And that's stated quite a bit. And I'm not quite sure why he gave them glowing eyes in the book, except to show that they're under the control of something. Because... Yeah visually on screen, there's no other way to show that. But you said you had some difficulty with him in describing them as evil. And well,
3: I thought what made them interesting and menacing is they seemed more creatures of appetite and swarm, not to have... I don't know, it seemed weird to attribute moral attributes to them based on physique. It just yeah. seemed lazy, I guess. And similarly, later, when... Um, I think it's Ian sees one of the um, Monoptera who have been enslaved, He refers to one of them being something like, worn but beautiful. Like, dude, you can, be, you can do better than that. Yeah. Just,
0: uh, exactly. England a lot. Well, especially since they're described on screen as the cattle of the Monoptera. Mm. They're basically cows. Mm. I don't know if that means that the Monoptera eat them or what have you, but or use them as beasts of burden when they're not under the control of this creature which is not named in the book but is called the animus on screen and (laughs) this is the weird thing he takes some of the best parts of his own script out for one thing when Vreston meets ian she can't get his name right so she calls him heron like the bird Hmm. which is kind of lovely in its own way Mm -hmm. um the the creature that's controlling them all is called the animus and the, the, the thing at the middle of Vortis that has the webs shooting out everywhere is called carcinoma. <laughs> so it's like a, a cancer yeah. taking hmm. over the planet. And there's one line of Struttons that he got rid of, and it's given to the Optra. And the Optra on screen, to be honest, are just embarrassing. I'll show you the episode after I'm we're done here. That. They're just awful. But they also have this kind of halting delivery. But one of them has this lovely line that is... We must create mouths in the rocks so that they will speak more light. Mm-hmm. It's this alien thought pattern. Yeah. yeah, It's one of the few times a Doctor Who does this, especially since this is the very first televised episode with an all-alien cast. Except for the Doctor and company. So. Yeah. So it's like, why did you take that out? Why did you put yeah. the sexism in? Why yeah. did you, you know, knock the frickin' Zarbi? Why, why, why?
3: I guess like... In could be summarized as I do not feel the love on this one the way I've felt the love on previous ones. Ah. Either love of language or love of the Doctor Who world, or it seems very much like a gig. A competent journeyman gig. Yeah. Much yeah, more than does. someone who loves the story or loves the genre yeah. or something like that. I could see that. Don't
1: you? definitely, definitely feel that. Like like I said, like even though this is kind of like the more sci fi adventure style, it it doesn't feel it didn't feel as like a, much of an easier read mm-hmm. as the other ones, and it, some of the language is very much like "why," <laughs> just like
2: <laughs> not
1: reading "ooh," it, but "why." Doctor <laughs> like Why? Dr. why? <laughs> um, yeah, some some of the things I was just like, "Why is he using this word again? Why are you describing things in the same ways?" Yeah, multiple times. Like, come on,
0: um, where's the variety?
1: Where's the variety?
0: Yeah. Yeah, um, especially yeah. this planet
1: that's supposed to have all these creatures on it.
0: Yeah, um, it just seems very samey in its own way. Yeah, which is really a shame. I, I have a feeling I, I'm pretty certain that the two of you will be uh, recording with me for the Crusaders, the next one, and that one I, I know it's a historical. It it's David Whitaker. And uh, that's right, neither of you know David Whitaker. Danny over there knows David Whitaker, but he's uh, buried in his computer, so I won't bother him. But both he and Sheena liked David Whittaker quite a bit, because he was the first script editor for the series, and he really took the novelizing chores seriously. Mm. And the Crusaders kind of sits there like a dead turd on the screen, <laughs> wow. even with Julian Glover and Gene Marsh, of all people, in it. And yet, on the page, it's just like, whew, it comes alive. Anyway, comes alive. I, of course I want to talk about it now, because I'm reading it right I now. I found the
3: Roman so lively and entertaining mm-hmm. as a novelization. Not very deep, but it wasn't trying to be. Yeah. And then I thought the episode was pretty leaden in comparison. Yeah. I saw that note.
0: It really is. It really is. And that's... Usually, again, what I think is the sign of a good novelization when it comes alive on the page in ways that it didn't on the television screen. Or that it didn't at all on the television screen. And this one, yeah, it's kind of strange. I mean, he he has a gift for, um, you know, humor. He has the Doctor referring to the animus as, my dear, whatever you are, at one point.
2: Yeah, he has some good clever lines. Yeah,
0: but clever lines... Though, I guess we could say that his world building with the Monoptera and the Optera and the Zarbi and the Animus, all of that, if you think Mm -hmm. about it as one big package, Mm -hmm. then Strutton has done something remarkable. He has created an alien world that actually feels fully formed.
3: He has done that, yes. Yeah, unlike
0: Dido. Dido did not feel fully formed, even with Martyr's, you know, input into it. Um, what else...
3: So the blurb refers to, well, as usual, has no self restraint whatsoever. Uh, uh, Gives <laughs> away the entire plot. Right. Refers to, quote, the friendly, I'll read it with the all cats, the friendly monoptera. <laughs> um, and the first scene we see them in is going back and it's like uh, Pirate Jenny, the Nina Simone song, yes. <laughs> But they're going back and forth with, should they kill Barbara now or kill her later? <laughs> right. <laughs> and, they the don't back. Manoptera. they don't back that much off of that later. Whoa. They just decide to kill them later, or maybe not at all. So exactly. I, yeah. I wasn't sure that was really the authorial intent of no. what the Minoptera are.
1: Yeah, calling them friendly is... Like, they weren't friendly. They ended up being friendly, but yes. they started off very much... uh Yeah they, yeah, it was like, okay, let's kill them. And let's th- kill them. They came here to get our
0: planet. Let's right. kill them. And now? Not Later? Now. Yeah, yeah now. <laughs> now, now. When? When? Kill now, them. now, now. Oh, right. God, I think I just Traitor. quoted Bill Cosby. Um, I'm sorry. I think I just quoted Bill Cosby comedy routine from the 70s. I'm sorry. Really, we didn't uh, know. We no, didn't know that. you knew no. that he used to be funny. Um, yeah. It, it is just the weirdest thing, because there is that disconnect between what the book is trying to sell and what we actually get. Almost like the, the episode itself, because it came down to this. They wanted a special effects extravaganza. Here's the problem, though. It's 1965. Yeah. yeah. And they're still in this yeah. like postage stamp-sized studio... And they're having to do, it's not Vaseline smeared on the camera lens. It's actually a lens that has the appearance of Vaseline smeared Hmm. on it. But they might as well have smeared the camera lens with Vaseline.
3: Hmm. They didn't know the Pennyhouse trick?
0: Uh, no. (laughs) Apparently Oh, well. No, no, apparently not.
3: Barbara Walters was much younger then. They hadn't had to develop the technology (laughs) yet.
0: (laughs) This is true.
3: It's just,
0: so much is kind of good. He gets Hartnell. He seems to get Hartnell yes. more than yeah. anybody
3: else. Yeah, gets his humor. Yeah,
0: he, he gets Hartnell both as lovable, irascible fool and super intelligent. And he actually puts some of Hartnell's verbal ticks into the dialogue, mm-hmm. which I think is lovely. Ian's weird in this book.
3: Quite bright at times, but he seems to spend a lot of the book kind of tripping over his own feet in Ooh. a he's back to being a buffoon again we haven't yeah. seen that in a couple of books
1: yeah he's still very much like the right hand man but he's not as yeah he, he's he's kind of fumbling and bumbling and not as on it as he has been in the past yes
0: he should have been the one spotting the acid pool he's a science yeah. teacher yeah. right he should have needed the doctor yes. to dip his tie into it right and destroy it right
3: Although it was, there was some funny dialogue with yeah. the Doctor there as well. But yes, it didn't make sense in terms of yeah. Ian. And
0: yeah, not at all. And you'd think that Ian would know some of the stuff. And it's it the
3: Doctor who's a clothes horse. Yeah. I can't believe he ripped my coat. Right. <laughs> 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 <Exactly. laughs> Instead of Ian.
0: Yeah, it's just the weirdest thing. And then Babs, poor Babs. Babs, well, you'll see episode six in a minute. Babs is, she's Barbara she's the take charge kind of gal that we know that she is except here she takes charge for a little bit and then they get right to the, um, the carcinome and one of them says oh this isn't your fight you should stay where it's safe and it's like fuck you yeah. sorry listeners at home yeah but cover your kids ears it's like to hell with you why on earth would you tell me to stay out of this mm-hmm. now when we've planned it all together and I'm supposed to go in and she ends up being the one saving the day After everything
1: else, she already did for them.
0: Yes.
3: It's just he doesn't know what to do with the characters other than the Doctor and his original alien creations. No.
0: And I think that offends me more than anything else. The fact that Barbara ends up being competent in the story. She ends up being the one that saves the day. Mm -hmm. Ian comes up through the floor at the very end (laughs) and is like, ah, the light, I can't see, ah, and is useless. The Doctor and Vicky are, well, in the televised version, they're sprawled on the floor. The Doctor are like, and Barbara's the only one that's like, okay, I'm going to get it, I'm going to get it, I'm going to...
3: Ah! Got it! And she kills it dead. You can't see the wonderful hand motions we're enjoying right yeah, now. They're exactly. very good. <laughs> I'm, I'm being
0: very... Yeah, I'm being very um uh, memeish. And damned if they don't thank her! Not a single well. character on the screen thanks her, and in the televised version, from the time the an- uh, Animus is killed to the time they finally leave this damn planet is Ten minutes! <laughs> ten minutes!
3: Like I said, the sexist stuff is more, it's not that he writes Barbara badly, he writes all these other characters as jerks, and yeah. <laughs> like not thanking her, etc. Oh, yeah. But it doesn't have any kind of commentary or wink-wink on yeah. it or anything no, like that. not at all. Like, ah, I can get a load of these guys. Just, exactly.
0: No. That's no. just ridiculous. And even Vicky, well, we haven't seen much of Vicky, have we? Go to bed. Yeah, <laughs> go to bed. <laughs> go to bed. I know. Now, you were saying a long time ago, the older woman that's kind of like the buzzkill...
3: Well, that's what I keep expecting. It does not happen nearly as often as I would expect and it, it happened in, in this one, it can happen. Literal, literal sedative. She sends the <laughs> big At first, I thought she was asking the doctor if he had a little mother's little helper on hand for her because she had quite a day. <laughs> and I thought that was actually kind of funny. <laughs> but, yeah, put Vicky. You should be in bed. Put, you should be put in Vicky bed. Down. Go to bed. Well, it's just an opening barrage of Barbara, make coffee. Barbara, make bacon and eggs. Barbara, tend to the patient. Barbara... Tell her not to have any fun, but mostly dies down until the end. I yeah. mean, I'm I'm just
1: glad they at least got Vicky out of the damn TARDIS because yes. I for a yeah. moment I was thinking she was just going to sleep through the whole, <laughs> yes. just get dragged along with the TARDIS.
3: Barbara and, slipped her and Mickey. <laughs> oh yeah.
0: God, it's going to be this all yeah. over again. There's well, a later Doctor <laughs> Who story where a character goes to sleep in the first episode and wakes up in the fourth, and it's because the actress in question had only signed the contract for 22 episodes, not 24.
1: Hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I kind of expected another one of those things of, like, something's going on with the actor, or we don't need you, Vicky, so we're just going to sleep this one out. I keep
3: expecting her to be more developed, and it has not happened yet. Yeah. I thought she seemed the most interesting in the first episode, where she displayed potential, but none of these episodes or adaptations have explored that much at all yet.
0: No. No, and they and they won't until... Well. They won't. Um, <laughs> yeah. I was about to say, she gets better later, but only by degrees. She
1: does seem to at least have, starting to have, like, a relationship with the Doctor, though.
0: Yeah. Which may
1: be informed by his, his love of Susan. Yeah. By this.
0: the way, listeners, that wasn't a gunshot. It We're recording this on July 5th. That was some... Idiot, deciding it's still the fourth.
3: Someone um, commented this weekend: "If you haven't been hearing fireworks for five days, your neighborhood is quite gentrified." <laughs>
1: yes. Yeah. Um, Sorry, but yeah, it just seemed it seems like like Vicky and the doctor's relationship is starting to become kind of more familial. Yeah. Yeah, it's more grandfatherly, yeah.
0: granddaughterly, Yeah. to some degree. I, I think in this, one of the changes is he tries to calm her down with the chocolate in this, in this uh, version. James
3: <laughs> love chocolate. Yeah, because yes. <laughs> that calms them down.
0: Uh, Heaven knows.
3: So this is where my 60s sci-fi knowledge uh, falls short. Um, I kept thinking of the Starship Troopers world during this, with the oh, different species of insects. Yeah. Especially the ones that are sort of... Not stink bugs, but stink bug base at fire, acid, and that yes, sort of thing. the venom grubs. But I assume okay. that there are other insect worlds from this time as well, right? Or is this kind of a. Do you think this is the inspiration for that particular world?
0: I don't think it was the inspiration because that would mean or that Time Line would have known about Doctor Who, and I don't think he did. Um, I think it might be a case of uh, parallel evolution in sci-fi ideas.
3: Based on that, I kept expecting this to be more political, because there's like a slave race switch here. Yes. And there's never commentary on that until the end. So I'm like, well, they have their place in our society, and I started to feel profoundly uncomfortable with it. Like, it was a fantasy of undoing yeah. the Haitian Revolution or something yeah. horrible like that. As what he should. Uh, but I, mean, I don't know if he was making, if the author is making some sort of dark commentary or just wasn't thinking about those issues at all.
0: It would surprise me if Strutton didn't have, somehow have some sort of, not a subplot exactly, subtext mm-hmm. like that going on because he did write military books. Hmm. And he w- was an active participant in World War II, and he grew up in Australia. And the fact that you're refers to the Optera, not as Optera, but as Pygmies. Yeah. Yeah, I, I start thinking mm-hmm. of the indigenous races of Australia mm-hmm. and think, oh, yeah, maybe that's what's going on, and if that's the case, that's really disturbing.
3: I, I hoped it was not the case, because he indicated... Oh well, these creatures are just—they had their place in our planet, but now they've taken over and they can run around and do whatever they like, and it's chaos and they're evil. Yeah. And it's like, surely that's not what he's doing, is it? And uh,
0: I think it might be. God. Oh God.
3: Oh God. I, I may have this to re- guy. I'm
0: gonna have to. Re- I know. I'm gonna have to revise my rating of this book because it's been dropping the entire time that we've been recording. Mm-hmm. The more I think about it, the more I realize that even though the illustrations are pretty. And some of the prose is nice. This book is abhorrent in many ways. It's really kind of disturbing.
3: He really might just be thinking about ecosystems and insects as well. It's really challenging for me to tell.
0: Yeah, and I think it's because we're putting a lot more thought into it as usual than anyone actually reading it in the 60s would have. But...
3: Just a, no one that, was alive
0: then. Well, I know that. <laughs> but what about authorial intent? I mean, it comes down to even subconscious authorial intent bleeding through a mm. text. It's part of the reason why I refuse to read any Orson Scott card books. Because it's like, I'm, for one thing, I'm not giving that homophobic shit any of my money. And two, I can feel it coming through mm. the prose to some mm. degree. I can really kind of feel that worldview coming through. And now that you bring that up, it's like, ugh. ugh,
3: Someone commented this last week that if there was such a thing as a heterosexual Pride Day Parade, it would just be Orson Scott Card in a Dilbert costume. (laughs) 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 Exactly,
0: and I think that's right, too. It's just so disturbing. Especially since there are, like I said, and I keep saying this, interesting things going on in this book. It's much more science fiction-y. It's written by somebody who apparently has never seen the episodes that were made based on the scripts. Here, first, do the sleep period. It's like they're having some sort of sci-fi sleep period here on TARDIS and a control table. Yeah. 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 And then Ian calling him Doctor Who and ah.
3: I could believe that that was some overzealous editor who decided that was the way to do it. I but guess, the, but I—I I don't know who to blame. I'm just so very angry about yeah. it. <laughs> no, I can't get any information on it. I was trying. To, uh, sorry,
0: I was trying to find who did. I'm gonna have to blank that.
3: Up. <laughs> Completely unsolicited uh, information. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna have to try to
0: find who edited this because it might have been. It might have been Whitaker. Yeah. It could have been, but it could have been some uh, Frederick Mueller editor who didn't know any better, because there's that weird... Here's the other thing. This book acts like you, the reader, know everybody on board the TARDIS, and you don't need any introductions. You're familiar with it already. and yeah. you know who Vicky is. In fact, it refers to the Dido spaceship, and it's like... The spaceship wasn't named Dido. That was the planet she was crash-landed on. Yeah. Why even bring that up?
3: And yet, they didn't really need to introduce them because they were so flat and uninteresting. They're just people (laughs) who walk around on feet and say things and do things. Only the Doctor has personality. (laughs) Well, all his new characters, I quit trying to keep up. I just kept up with what species they were, but not role they played. Character development was not his thing.
0: There's even a callback to Dalek Invasion of Earth, but it's really brief. And it's kind of ballsy for him to have included it when it's obvious that it's a reference to a movie that's not going to come out for a while. Mm. And the episode hasn't come out for a while. But yeah, you're right. There's just no... What's the reference? Oh, God, it's in Chapter 3. Chapter 3, there is a reference to Dollar Convasion. Chapter reference.
3: 3, verse 17. Let us now turn. <laughs> yeah, in <laughs> your an
0: Yeah. Um, he's talking with Ian. Or rather, Doctor Who is talking with Ian. Um, it's when the Zarbi and the Venom Gun are repelled by the TARDIS. And the Doctor has this really strange explanation for it.
1: About the repellent magnets. Yes! Remember when we were aboard the Dalek saucer? The repellent magnets? That's what happened?
0: Something of the sort. The Doctor snapped. Yes. Yes. Hmm. Except that explains fuck all. It doesn't explain a damn thing. It explains... That trap that got them off of the Dalek spaceship and out of that, it was the it was the, you know, the test that they had to do. That doesn't explain why the Zarbi or anybody is repelled by the TARDIS, except that a wizard did it. Hmm. To use a Simpsons reference. I
3: thought I just wasn't reading carefully enough and didn't care enough to reread. Okay, I feel better. He's he's basically saying
1: there's something going on that's repelling them, but yeah. I don't know what it is. Yeah, yeah. But something is causing this. Yeah, exactly. The probably is. the same thing that brought us here, but I don't know quite what it is, mm-hmm. so here's me giving you an answer without giving you an answer. But yeah. in the previous
3: <laughs> books you got a sense at the very beginning and end of each story there was a longer, or a larger arc about um, something is up with the TARDIS. The mm-hmm. Doctor's not completely in control of it. He doesn't know exactly how it's going to misbehave. Right. It's not just misbehaving consistently, but in different ways each time. And It does feel like they're building up to some big crisis and then resolution of that, and I didn't get that sense at all in this one. No,
0: no. And in fact, I think I know what it was now. Gravitational forces. That that's why Vortis suddenly has several different planets. It's because this, you know, cosmic spider is sucking things into Vortis. Yeah. And that's why the TARDIS can't escape, and yet no one can get into it for the same reason, because it's a different pole on the magnet. And believe it or not, these explanations are in the televised version, but they get lost in the church.
1: But the Zarbi can't get into it, but the Doctor and the companions can get into it. Yeah, which they'd be
0: able to anyway.
3: I didn't care enough. Yeah, if that makes sense.
0: I think that makes sense. I was just confused
1: because it was like, what? Okay, why can't these things go into it, but everyone else can? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just it didn't match up. It's yeah. just
3: like I mean, it did work right. with the idea that there's something going on with electromagnetism, and there's there's a blend of their natural insect-like abilities, and they're obviously being in some way manipulated or enhanced by outside forces. So it did work once again. On that sort of world building level, if there's yeah. something strange going on with electricity here. it's not just about their natural biology, but mm. the details were uninteresting. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I did. Every time I said the voice hmm. in my mind, I just filled out the rest of the phrase as the voice of Metra, which (laughs) is a loudspeaker speaker system that goes to all the train platforms and lets you know if your train's going to be late or come to the other platform. And I like the idea of the voice of Metra being sort of a malevolent force in the universe that controls insect species and whatnot. I
0: was thinking the TV show, the voice. Also, a malevolent force in the the universe. Yeah, it's like. I farted on the metro and three people turned around. I felt like I was on the voice. Oh my! <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the way that joke goes. Okay. Anyway, yeah, and the, there are there. I noticed this time because they were in print. There were so many little details that I finally caught, and I was like, "Wait a minute! Wait a minute!" How did the Monoptera fly through space? Do they actually literally fly on their insect wings mm-hmm. through space? Because Vreston says something about many of his people falling to their deaths. Do they actually fly through mm-hmm. space?
3: It was yeah. also strange to me that they're winged, but they so easily fall through the floor. Yeah. yeah. They could you be know. injured or something. But Yeah. Just.
0: Now, granted, there are a few things to cut out, mm-hmm. such as... The horrible scene on screen where one of the monoptera gets his wings clipped, you don't see it, but you see Barbara reacting to it, Mm. and she sells it, and it's like, oh my god, and the Mm. next time you see him, he has no wings, Mm. and you're like, oh, that looks like it would have been painful. Doesn't happen here. The Mm. scene where the Doctor and Vicki are covered in webbing, doesn't happen here a um, few other things don't happen here but yeah, I don't even know why they're taken out I don't know why the sexism's put in I'm just confused and I don't know why he's called Doctor Who <laughs> I'm so confused and I want to stop talking about this book yeah it's not my favorite
3: you have the power to do so <laughs> I do
0: I do I do Um. <laughs> so as we always do let's go to goodreads.com for online reviews of the book... Oh, by the way, did you know the story was um, takes place in the year 20,000 AD or CE? Because the voice has this line about, I will take over Earth in its hundredth Christian millennium. And I'm like, the hell? There's hmm. no line like that on screen. Hmm. She, uh, she, because the voice is female. Yeah. Of course. Ah, even the voice is female. And you don't get that in this.
3: No, I didn't pick up on that at all.
0: Transsexualize the voice. That's Well, just...
1: I assumed that it was a female. Why though? I don't know why, but mm. it's something <laughs> I think I was imagining there I think there's a Christmas episode in the new series where there's a spider mm. yes, creature.
0: There is. In the arachnos.
1: Yes. And so that was the immediate thing mm. that I like picked up on and went there yeah. even
0: though I know it's not the same. But And I just thought of that, too. Um, later books, the original books that were published in the 90s, make reference to this story. And they also try to bring in the Lovecraftian elder gods mm-hmm. as um, mm-hmm. threats for the Doctor. The Great Intelligence in the new yeah. series, that's one of the elder gods, according to fan lore. This is one of the elder gods. Okay. The creature.
1: And I, and I always thought of, of, like, I thought of, like, a spider
0: queen. Yeah.
1: So that's why I identified it as a female voice, a female character.
0: And I could see that. And when you um, s- when you see the episode, the voice itself is really impressive. The Spider Queen, not so much. Hmm. Anyway,
3: if yeah. I imagine it's being sort of ethereal, non-gendered sort of voice.
0: Yeah, and that would have been that would have been impressive too, but. As we always do, (laughs) let's go to goodreads.com for online reviews of the book written by other readers and follow up with our own ratings. By the way, if you're listening to this podcast and want to have your review featured when we get to an upcoming book, you know what you need to do. Read the book, write a review on Goodreads, write a comment, and let us know that you wrote it so that we have a chance to see it before discussing the book ourselves. You may just get your review read out loud here. By the way, we finally did get a comment on the last episode, and Allison, you were right. But it was it, it it was kind of a negative comment about someone someone read me the Riot Act on Facebook about mixing up episodes and stories. Ah, actually, this comment is gone now. But the person in question said, "I can't stand it." when people confuse episodes and stories. Episode 12 of Doctor Who was... Was
3: it in the comic book I've always...
0: Episode 12, clearly! It was kind of like that. (laughs) Episode 12 was Edge of Destruction. I hate it when people do this. And I was like, oh, well, thank you, but it is our 12th episode, so I guess I can't please everybody, smiley face. And he responded with, well, you'll never please anyone unless you get basic (laughs) facts right. I was like, oh well, thank you so much for that. When I went back, the thread was gone.
3: I'm sympathetic to the original critique, but perhaps not to the rejoinder. And this (laughs) is just
1: making my forehead twitch. Because,
0: (laughs) really. But we did get a nice comment. And we got a nice comment about the Romans, but it was a comment that said, I hated this book. And that person is probably going to win our book giveaway. <laughs> just so you know. Which will be the Romans. Half of life is just Roman, showing up. You so. have yeah, yeah, just show up and we'll give you That song. would be
3: cruel to send them the Romans. <laughs> oh, God, no. No, because <laughs> they've already read it. I mean,
0: hell. The average rating for this story, this book, not story, out of five stars is 3.27. Hmm. So it's still above three. People were stupid. (laughs) Well, maybe. Speaking
3: of negative comments, you can delete that one later. Speaking of those
0: stupid people, (laughs) here are some sample reviews. Mel, whom we've heard from before, gave it only one star. So she's with us. And said, so I do enjoy the Target novelizations. A nice way to revisit stories and get a feeling for ones you can't see. This one I started reading right after having watched the episode. And I gave up before the end of the first chapter. First, it starts with Ian wanting Barbara to cook them breakfast. They're both professional teachers. Why can't he cook his own breakfast and expects her to do it? Oh yes, because she's a woman! Adding an extra sexism is not necessary. Then the men discuss how they are uneasy about leaving the two girls alone, one of whom is a grown woman, not a girl, and as she showed in the actual episode, is an incredibly competent and clever woman. But in the novel, they had her all scared about being left alone. Then and I forgot about this. Then they cut entirely the conversation Vicky and Barbara have about education. They have this nice little scene, and Vicky says, "Oh, I didn't know you were a teacher." Um, and she thinks she's teaching elementary school, and Barbara says, "No, I'm not. You went to school, didn't you?" And she said, "Oh, yes. I hated it. Sometimes <laughs> we had to sit for a whole hour because it's you know you know they have headphones on because it's all sci-fi futury." Yeah. Uh, by this point, it didn't seem like too much of a stretch to assume this is because the author didn't think the girls should be educated. After, <laughs> after I'm enough, not sure
3: I would go that far. But I, think I, I wouldn't I would. put it past him at this point.
0: After yeah. another <laughs> reference from Ian about the girls needing looking after, I gave up. I was really looking forward to the descriptions of the aliens and their civilization in the book, but this was just too sexist to continue. By far, the worst target I've come across. Come back, Terrence Dix. All is forgiven. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love
3: that review. Oh, no. <laughs> she wins. Driven these. into the arms of Terrence Dix. <laughs> yeah, eh? driven into the arms of Dix. How extreme! Dicks. extreme. Has it driven got to, to Dix. How bad's it gonna be?
0: Yeah. <laughs> Alias pending. I love that username. That's right. Alias Pending wrote a rather long review to justify their three stars, but here's what they said: short review, <laughs> hot tea time action. That was mostly more coherent than the Doctor Who episode it was based on, the web planet, the rest. At 174 pages, it was like the 1965 TV shows both too long and too bloated with fluff to be a real success. There were some sci-fi elements that hinted at awesomeness, a very alien planet with a low density atmosphere, living bioweapons, a strange force able to pull the TARDIS out of time and space, and sinister intelligence that could be mistaken for something from Lovecraft and the imagination lobe is flexed like Mr. Olympia, if the imagination lobe. Lots of potential not a lot of payoff, fun for a hardcore Whovian, but for the love of the great old ones, this novel is <laughs> not to be approached by amateurs. <laughs> and absolutely no one under 18 years of age should be allowed to view its words and illustrations.
3: What?
0: No one under the age of 18 should be allowed to view its words and illustrations. more of a rhetorical what?
3: I don't remember any oh, kind the of. The illustrations. I don't remember anything being objectionable at the illustrations.
0: I know, I didn't mind them either. In I fact, I thought that was a highlight. I
3: mean, I don't remember there being anything like racy or violent or no. anything. That's
0: um, he talks about the. Or is ADJs. he just afraid that when
3: your taste is being formed, you might, I think that might absorb a... this into your mental canon and think <laughs> it's good? Yeah, I can get that. Yeah. Sexism,
0: lots of it. This is a product of 1965. One should wear your historical safety goggles at all times <laughs> to prevent injury to our more modern, enlightened natures. The all powerful and mind reading, great intelligent animus can't tell the Doctor's a Gallifrey and Time Lord as opposed to his hapless earthling companions. I chose to believe that this is because of the Eleventh Doctor's ongoing master plan to erase his reputation from time. Ah, like I said, hardcore. <laughs> Pro tip for reading or watching this episode, this Doctor Who, as they insist on calling him in the book, is the youngest we'll ever see or have seen him. At one point in the book, the Doctor has an age rage argument with a B-man and snaps, <laughs> What do you think I am, Sweet 16? It amuses me to think that the 57-year-old Doctor is so defensive because he is, in fact, just out of his teens along the Gallifreyan Life Expectancy Chart, like I said, for chronophiles only. But Michael... Gave it a full five stars. Mm. I was so blown away. Is he under 18? I don't know. (laughs) He might be. I was so blown away by this book, age seven. Him or the book? Then I think I reread the first couple chapters about ten times. I was like a little bird trying to fledge, getting so far before dropping back into the nest scared of what was out there. I kept trying through, though, and eventually got past Ian Chesterton getting tangled up in a web. It had some great little black and white illustrations by John Wood. After that I went up to the library every week looking for more. At first there were only three to choose from, but eventually they start coming out more regularly. This along with the Narnia books pretty much sparked my love for reading. Well, that's what so he He read as a child. He did, so that makes sense. Yeah. So, Allison
3: liked the illustrations, liked the world building, had some clever dialogue, but overall, I would say one, which is an integer. Which it could be so much worse. It's a positive integer as well. It's at least well. a full star. Yeah, that's true. So, yes, that's true. So, given my <laughs> critiques of it, that's that's fairly kind. Um, all the darker elements of it are, I think at this point, unprovable, although not in his favor.
2: Okay. So one star.
1: Yeah. One star. Uh, I'd probably go with like two stars. Not my favorite, not the worst, not the best. Just kind of mm. um What's the worst that you've read so far? <sighs> I'm trying to think back of all the ones you've read.
0: You didn't care for giant dicks. So I know that. I didn't care for that one. Amazingly. <laughs> um. Yeah, sorry.
1: I, I feel like uh, Planet of Giants and this one were about the same for me. Um, mm-hmm. some like uh, one of the reviewers said, like some of the sci-fi elements were appealing. The world building, I agree with, but like overall, it just kind of falls flat. Um, potential was there, but it didn't live up to it. Um, the sexism was like, why? Yeah. Seeing Barbara pretty much, like, just not be herself.
0: Yeah. Yeah, It's just, eh. I could see that. What did I end up giving Planet of Giant Dicks?
3: Was it one and a half? Two? Maybe. I gave it one and a half and you thought I was heartless.
0: I really did, so I must have given it higher. Um, you know? I think I'd have to go with two on this as well. Because at the time I was reading it, I was both enjoying it, but then kind of cringing. It's a bit like it's mm. a bit like reading Marquis de Sade. Yeah. You're like, oh, this is well written. Oh my god, he just made a scatological reference. Oh, that's not a scatological that's reference. That's when that's you actually shouldn't cool.
3: read under 18. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah.
0: And this isn't nearly as injurious. That's for damn true. <laughs> yes. But what were my notes on this? Because I actually did write notes, and I want to see if I still agree with them. Um, works better on the page than on screen, as you're about to see. Because it's faster paced on the page, believe it or not. It's <laughs> way too sexist. Oh my God. As opposed is it
3: to amusingly seasoned with a light smattering of sexism Whoa, appropriately. That, see, <laughs> I would describe the Romans that way. Hmm, yeah.
0: The sexism actually works to the advantage of the story in some degree. but Well, it's
3: cartoonified in the row. Yeah, ones. there you go. Yeah. Whereas here,
0: it's not cartoonified at all. And the gender changes piss me the fuck off. I, I'm sorry to swear again, but really, I cannot stand the fact that Vreston is male. I can't stand that Nimini is male. And I can't stand that, hey, now, you're a horror star. For some reason, that's been <laughs> in my head all week. <laughs> <laughs> all week that stupid tune has been in my head because of that character's name oh but how did I say here the misnaming just kills me I cannot do what you were doing doing the whole switching off every time I saw Doctor Who it was like a knife to my heart oh it was it was
1: difficult yeah. it did not make for an easy read no because no. it took me about two seconds longer than it should have to read those two words yeah and
0: it's very weird that that should happen and yet it does. It's got that same sort of weird thing going on. Um, yeah, we're, we're fine. I think we're fine. Yeah, we're fine. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. Two stars? Yeah, I'd say two stars. It's weird that only two words can make that much of a difference. And I have a feeling that if it had been more than just those two words, <laughs> if he had actually called him the doctor throughout, we'd probably still be reacting the same way this book is not one of the better ones, and it's kind of a shame that this wasn't the book that killed the novelizations in the 60s. It was the next one, and that's really odd, because the next one is, well, you'll see. You'll see. Anyway, well, thank you, guys, and thank you, fellow time travelers, for giving us your valuable time next time we read the last of the novelizations published in the 60s The Crusaders Ooh. in the meantime if you like what you've heard here like us on Facebook at Doctor Who Target Book Club Podcast all one word with no spaces you can also visit our subreddit which is still pristine at reddit.com forward slash r forward slash DC. if you had a comment on Facebook our subreddit even on SoundCloud or one of our other podcast platforms. If you think there's something we missed or you just want to tell us you like us in words, you'll be entered in our next Target book giveaway. This time, some lucky fan randomly picked by me will get a gently used copy of Doctor Who and Warrior's Gate. It's a different book because we finally have a winner for that copy of Keeper of Trockett. Yes! Finally, we're giving that away, so thank God I'm for that. Laying it to rest. Yes, we are. Also, um, follow us on Twitter. We're at DWTargetBC or subscribe to us via the podcast provider of your choice. We're on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn, and intermittently still on Podbean. If all else fails you, email us at dwtargetbc at gmail.com. Thank you very much for listening and enjoy your travels. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Okay, there we go. So we're going to get going, and I'm going to wait until chewing noises are up. (laughs) All right, here we go. You shit,
2: you.
0: Mm, I'm going to put that at the end of the recording. (laughs) All right.